Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of The Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. The Da Vinci Hour is a new podcast interview series with a variety of individuals across the field of medicine, and it's meant to provide you an inside look into their experiences and some thoughtful advice on how to navigate your journey towards your dream career. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be the host of these interviews. Some background on myself, I'm currently a transitional year resident in the Department of Medicine at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and I will be transitioning into the radiology residency program at Emory after my intern year. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a company I co-founded with my two brothers, Charlie and Jacob, and some of my colleagues while we were in medical school. And our mission at Da Vinci Academy is to provide innovative learning resources for students studying the medical sciences and enables them to learn the fundamental concepts in an easy to follow way and then learn to apply those concepts to clinical situations that are frequently tested on medical school exams and board exams. We have video courses available on our website for anatomy, histology, and biochemistry currently. We also have outline format textbooks that complement those subjects and are meant to supplement the videos and those books are available in both paperback and ebook forms. We also have a free clinical case video series called Da Vinci Cases, available on our website and our YouTube channel. And now onto the first episode of the Da Vinci Hour, where I will be interviewing my good friend and colleague, Dr. Ronit Shaw. He is a first year orthopedic surgery resident at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is also a co-author of our biochemistry textbook from Da Vinci Academy. And we met as medical students at the University of Toledo College of Medicine. And so I'm very excited to have Dr. Shaw as our first guest on the Da Vinci Hour. So, Ron, how's it going, man? Well, first off, thanks for the introduction, Max. Uh, great to be on this podcast. Uh, definitely an honor. Um, I think it's actually a great, uh, great idea that you've had uh, starting this podcast. Um, first off, I just want to say that I wish I had something like this when I was when I was a med student, and then also even as a resident, I feel like just having something to relate to, uh, being able to listen to other people's experiences, um, get to know uh, things that other people are doing uh, inside and outside the field of medicine. So I think it's a really unique thing uh, that you've got going on here. So I'm excited for that. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So you're like me in your first year residency. Um, what, what rotation are you on, man, right now? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on orthopedics right now. Um, you know, finally, uh, I've been waiting a long time for this, as you know, um, we go back a few years, so it's definitely been a long road that we, uh, we've both been through. Um, yeah, so, uh, doing my orthopedics, uh, part of PGY one year, which is first year residency, um, at Temple Hospital. So, uh, it's been an exciting time, time of transition, which I think is true for everyone this year, actually, because, because of what's been going on. Um, so it's, it's been an exciting time. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and you, from what you've said, you've done, you did six months of general surgery in essentially in the first, the first half of your intern year. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the way orthopedic surgery residency is structured is, um, it's like a five-year residency. And then first year is when you do, um, six months of orthopedics and six months of general surgery. So it really defers by, uh, which residency program you're in. Um, the way it's structured uh, at our hospital is um, we do six months of gen surgery in a block and six months of orthopedics in a block. Um, so I had my six months of general surgery uh, first um, starting out, um, and then I transitioned to orthopedics uh, starting January. So we'll be finishing that out um, 
until June. Nice. That's awesome. I mean, you finally, I think one of the frustrating things is, you know, you go through med school and you have to do all these things that you don't really want to do. <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> uh, and, you, and then in residency, uh, especially you have to do some things you, you don't have to do. Um, like currently I'm on medicine wards, which anyone knows me as not, I'm not the biggest fan of this. It's a good, it's a good learning experience. You get right. to see a lot of different aspects of medicine, but I don't know. Internal medicine is just not for me. I'm glad. And I'm just doing a, a one year stop by before, before I hit the radiology uh, yeah. arena. So, right. uh, but, <laughs> um, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, I think finally getting to do what you want to do is awesome. And then, so I, I guess walk us through, like, what's your typical day? Like, like what, like what time do you get to the hospital? Like, what do you have to do? Uh, I mean, it's, I realize it's probably being, I understand as well, being the low man on the totem pole, it's not the most right. glamorous job in the world, but I don't know. I'm sure there's yeah, a lot of med yeah. students out there wondering like, what's it like being an orthopedic intern, man? Yeah, exactly. And I think in med school, like being a med student uh, is kind of don't get um, a full perspective about what goes on in the hospital. Um, just because as a student, sometimes you're not part of certain clinical activities. Um, so you miss out on a fair bit of like the daily structure. Um, and it's kind of really important when you're making a decision to pick uh, which residency uh, specialty you want to apply for. Um, so I think it's definitely something that uh, is lacking in uh, current med school curriculums for the most part. Um, so I think that uh, sharing a perspective like that is important. Um, especially through a medium like this, uh, being able to like hear uh, residents experience firsthand. Um, as you mentioned, obviously it does differ on what level you are as the resident. Um, so uh, speaking in terms of a first year, uh, being a first year resident in orthopedic surgery, the hours are kind of um, all over the place. Uh, I will say it differs on which rotation you're on. Um, in terms of uh, orthopedics, uh, you get here fairly early in the morning. It's kind of one of those things that everyone knows about, but, you know, you kind of have to experience it for yourself to really understand what that means. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess like for most programs across the country, it's pretty, pretty true that you have to be there, you know, before like around like 445 in the morning, 430, depending on what you have to do for that day. Um, I don't know about what you, what you think, but I think that's really early. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it definitely was a transition um, thing for me. I don't, I still don't know how I'm doing it, but it's just one of those things you like, you wake up in the morning, you just roll out of bed, can't really think too much about it. Um, once you start thinking, it's like game over. It's, so you just got to do that. Um, and then throughout the day, uh, um, kind of like end the day, I guess, you know, it depends. The, the ending of the day really is variable um, depending on how many consoles you get that day. Um, like how long clinic is, uh, what you have to prepare for the next day, things like that. But on average, I'd say between like, like 8 p.m. to anything after 8 p.m. So like <laughs> it, it, it can go like to midnight. Um, definitely have been times where you get out at midnight and it's just like, now I got like three hours left to sleep. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things. Um, um, and then as for like what you do throughout the day, um, as a med student, you can help out a lot and, um, and you do see a fair bit of these things, but then there's other things that you may not see. Um, so when you get there in the morning, get the list ready, uh, um, look up everyone's labs, things like that. Um, 
we have a thing called the bucket, which is basically all the dressing supplies. <laughs> um, and that's usually the, the med students role there. Um, uh, so um, I've been quite familiar with that, especially in med school, doing away rotations for orthopedics. Um, so get the dressing supplies ready. Um, then we have sign out in the morning, which we get um, from the previous night's resident. And then we have a trauma board where we go over the day consults and the night consults from the day before. Um, and then once that's over, we start our trauma rounds, uh, which is basically just like rounds with any other service, uh, nothing special. Just uh, check in on patients in the morning from room to room throughout the hospital, make your way down, uh, doing, dressing, doing dressing changes as we go. Um, and then from there on, uh, you're kind of like independent at that point. Uh, so this, the team kind of splits apart. Uh, the senior residents go to the operating room. Um, uh, the, the attendings uh, go to their offices, do what attendings do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as the intern, you're kind of left to your own devices, uh, just kind of scrambling through about all the notes you jotted down uh, throughout the trauma board. Um, uh, and then like on rounds and things that, that people have told you the fifth year, fourth year, the attendings, things that need to be done for those patients. Um, and then you kind of just start there, try and knock those out before the consults start getting in. Um, as you know, the pager, the pager is a, is a device of much anxiety. So um, yeah, it's kinda, not, it's not a glamorous thing at all. Right. It, it's one of those things that like kind of looks cool when you're in medicine from a distance, but once you, yeah. the, the luster rubs off after you get hammer page, you know, enough times. Right. Right. So, you know, it's like one of those things where um, you gotta, you gotta knock the, the morning things out uh, fairly quickly. Otherwise, if you start getting consults and you haven't finished out, out the things that need to be done for the, the rounding patients, then, then you're already gonna, you're already in for a long day. <laughs> so, uh, so, so for, you, you gotta prioritize things like that. For consults, are you, now do you see those yourself, like as the intern on service, or is that, like, do you go with like one of the other residents or like, how does that work exactly? You know, that's actually a good question. And um, for med students listening to this podcast, uh, I think that's actually a very good question that could be asked um, during the interview process. Whenever they ask uh, if you have any questions, that would be a question that would be worthy of asking. Cause I always knew when I didn't know what questions I should be asking during that time. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to get to know a program, a question like that is very useful to see like uh, the level of autonomy that uh, junior residents have um, and just like day-to-day -day things that aren't really told to med students. Um, so uh, to answer your question, um, as the intern, uh, we get to see all the consult. We're the first person to see the consult. Once the pager uh, rings, you go down and go see the patient wherever they are. Um, and then uh, obviously you do your, exam and whatever that needs to be done depending on the acuity of the situation and the the, the acuity of the patient um, and then from there on uh, depending on what needs to be done you consult with your senior residents um, uh, and let them know like you saw the patient what's what you think it is what you think the diagnosis is what you think the plan is um, and you can get started on that and then uh, the, the, the seniors will basically just, uh, either agree with your plan or correct you. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of like where the learning actually takes place is, uh, what did you miss or what, what were they thinking about that you weren't? So, yeah, I was going to say, I imagine that's, that's actually probably a pretty good learning experience. Cause like, especially like your early 
you know, our early development as a doctor, like it's kind of like when I'm on medicine and I see like new admissions in the ER, it's like, you're just going in there blind. Like the same thing when you're going to evaluate a consult in the ER, you're just trying to figure out what's going on uh, from, and no one's really, you get kind of like, you know, a sign out from the ER, but um, sometimes they don't, you know, cause they have, they're so busy and everything. They don't always have all the information or they're waiting for things to come back. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I feel like that's a good learning experience. It sounds like you do too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's also one of the, the, I think you touched upon a really important point there about like seeing the patient for yourself and um, evaluating everything uh, individually as, and uh, you know, taking into account pieces of information other, other people in the hospital may have told you, ancillary staff, nurses, uh, ED staff, um, other, the resident who may have called you, the other residents. Um, so all of that is like, it's a kind of like being a detective and you got to piece together what's what's really going on here because you're just walking in there blind initially. So um, that's part of the learning experience about noticing what's important, not what's not. Um, there actually may be times where there's completely incorrect information as well um, that may have just been propagated up the chain. So it's, you gotta, you gotta really um, look into the patient, look into the medical records, uh, do your own physical exam uh, completely. Um, just like, you know, dig deep, uh, like what they teach you in med school and just kind of apply what you know and then uh, take it from there, basically. Awesome. awesome. So you, you, you'll you see consults, obviously, you know, you help on rounds in the morning and then like, do you ever get to go to the operating room or, or is that kind of limited experience at, at this stage? Yeah, that's also a good question. Um, I think uh, as a first year, I think I'm, speaking from my, my experience doing away rotations, uh, seeing other programs, and then also in my own program, um, the uh, operating room experience as a first year is fairly limited uh, just because um, you're really managing the floors and seeing all the new consults in the hospital. Um, there are a few times, a uh, few days when there's a, you know, a senior resident is like, there's more cases than usual uh, there's two rooms operating at once. Uh, seniors miss, like is on holiday or something, mm -hmm. um, so you may be called to go to the operating room at that time. Uh, so that's that's definitely um, something you can be prepared for. But uh, uh, for the most part, you're usually not in the operating room, um, just because uh, that it kind of works down in terms of seniority, uh, the way the team structure is at our hospital. Yeah, I think that, I mean, as you know, I, I just, those of you listening, I, I recently did a month of vascular surgery here at Emory uh, because going into interventional radiology, that's, there's a lot of, you know, overlap with endovascular cases and it's good to learn, you know, management of pre and post-operative patients because a lot of those concepts transfer over to procedures and IR. Um, and yeah, it was a similar experience. Like when you're the intern running the floor, you know, obviously I was the, even though I'm not a surgical intern, I was for that, for all intents and purposes, I was that month. Uh, you're, you almost don't want to go to the, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. You almost don't want to go to the OR for the whole day because the, like you said, there's all these things that pile up that you need to do. <laughs> I mean, like, I remember I got stuck in a six hour, like bypass case. Cause they need someone just to assist. And the whole time I'm just thinking like, oh man, I got all this stuff to do. <laughs> right. So I don't think I could it's have like, enjoyed it's it. It's like the going to the case is cool. And, uh, it's definitely what you kind of signed up for, uh, in terms of orthopedic surgery. So you want to make it take advantage of that. But then in the back of your mind, you're all, always thinking like, no one's going to do my job for me when I get out of the operating room. <laughs> yeah. And there's still like three consoles to see um, all this other stuff to do. So like, 
it's it's going to be you doing that stuff after the operating room and you just have to you're gonna have to stay late that day it, it, it just yeah. is what it is but um uh it's definitely one of those like things that uh emotionally and mentally as a first year resident you kind of need to balance um balance in, in terms of like operating room versus floor stuff um to not get to get to get too carried away and like being in the operating room and going through all these surgeries but then like thinking someone else is going to do your work for you because that's not true yeah yeah i think it's one of those like yeah it's not the most glamorous job in the world but i think it's important to understand like how that stuff works because you know you know you won't be doing it one day you'll be managing it you know both at the senior resident level and you know obviously at the attending level as well right and it's like one of those things where you got to learn what what you're doing at that point in time. You can't really skip ahead. Um, yeah. So you, you got to make the most of what there's a reason that it's part of the curriculum yeah. uh, for residency. And, and there's a reason why the intern is called the intern. So <laughs> you, you got to learn those things while you're wearing an intern. Um, and then you can learn the more advanced things later on as you go. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no LeBron James or Kobe Bryant when it comes to the right there's, the, there's no jumping right to the pros unfortunately exactly <laughs> that's actually probably a good thing but because then it'd be complete amateur hour um awesome so i guess some other questions i have is uh i guess on the general surgery side of things like what was there a rotation you like liked or thought was really good for like translating to orthopedics i mean i'm sure like all of them had some relevance you know that's why you do them but was there one that kind of stood out to you as one that was like a good experience or one that like you felt really prepped you well for orthopedics? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in terms of just like the rotations I enjoyed the most were uh, vascular surgery and um, the ED actually, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> uh, as much as people like have their opinions about the emergency department, I actually enjoyed my experience down there. Um, I enjoyed, I think it does come down to like who you work with. I'm sure you can relate to this as well. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's really dependent on the people and the close group that you're working with at that during that month that can really make or break any rotation. Um, so I, I enjoyed vascular a lot uh, because I was with a good team and I actually did get to go to the operating room a fair amount. Um, and there was ancillary staff supporting me in terms of doing like floor work and things like that which really helped out in me being able to go to the operating room uh, and gain some very early uh, surgical exposure. Um, just learning, learning the basics about, you know, like the instruments, prepping and draping, um, and then like basic approaches and how to use the tools basically. Um, yeah, definitely. So for me, that was like a very eye-opening and, you know, a good experience for me. Um, and then the emergency department is also a good experience because, um, they kind of all knew that I was one of the, I was one of the orthopedic interns. So they kind of let me, uh, you know, see all the patients that had orthopedic injuries and take care of them, uh, in terms of the emergency department, splitting reduction, uh, you know, getting the proper imaging, um, and follow-up plans for them. So that was a good experience in just like having some type of, a, uh, autonomy and then doing something remotely relevant to orthopedics. <laughs> so that was a nice, nice change for me. Um, how about yourself? What would you say were some of your favorite rotations? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I did the emergency department. That was actually my first rotation in July was the emergency department at uh, Grady Memorial Hospital, which if you're not aware of that in Atlanta, that's the uh, level one trauma center. It's a 
it's a county hospital in downtown Atlanta. So it's, it's the wild West, man. Like you, you see it all there. I mean, it's, uh, it's the craziest things you can imagine are there. Um, and so, yeah, it was and then obviously COVID was red hot in, in July. So, I mean, we were seeing a lot of COVID patients. So that was both stressful, but also very interesting as well to kind of see the, it was really interesting to see just the evolution of how we've managed that disease and how we've gotten better at managing that disease, uh, both, you know, in the emergency room and obviously I've done a lot of medicine, internal medicine rotations as well, where we've taken care of COVID patients. But yeah, I think the emergency room, it's, it's a much, you know, it, gets a bad rap from some people in the hospital, but I think, you know, you kind of have to, it's good to see it from their shoes. Like they, they have to make a lot of really important decisions in a very short amount of time. Often, like we were kind of talking about earlier with very limited data, oftentimes, you know, right. like in internal medicine, by the time they get up to the, like we get a new admission, by the time they get up to the floor, like they've had a lot of labs, they've had an EKG. Sometimes they've, a lot of times they've had imaging, you know, chest x-ray, or even, you know, beyond that even same thing with like by the time they get to the orthopedics you know service they've had you know at least some preliminary imaging labs things like that but those guys you're talking about going in blind like those guys really they go in totally blind and so um i think it's a really interesting uh kind of way to do medicine you got to make some quick decisions some important decisions quickly um and so i think and it's really it's the other than the clinic it's the gateway to the hospital so it's right. kind of interesting to see things from that so i think yeah, yeah that's like been a good rotation good rotation you see in the ed is just like ridiculous like <laughs> yeah. you know especially like you know coming from like a ortho perspective it's like you kind of have to keep your eyes uh and ears open when you're down there can't really you know just narrow down your differential based off one or two things you got to really keep an open mind um to kind of include things that you may not have been expecting yeah no uh, so definitely i think i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of subspecialties have their residents rotate down there um, including us. So I think, I think the ED is definitely a great experience, um, especially early on in your medical career. Um, you know, being an intern, just, just, uh, keeping your eyes open with things like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, I remember I had a patient once who she came in and she was like short of breath, kind of fatigue, like just very basic symptoms. Um, and you know, she had said she had kind of some black tarry stools where they're like, oh, okay, maybe she's like a GI bleed. And then, you know, but the thing is they, we didn't have the labs at that point. And then finally the labs come back and like her hemoglobin was like, I don't know, it was like a 4.8 or something like that. It was crazy low. And so, you know, and then she ended up kind of deteriorating in the emergency room and she ended up going to the ICU. So it's like here it came in, she thought she was kind of this, just kind of nonspecific symptoms. And then things kind of changed and escalated pretty quickly. So. Um, it was pretty cool to see the ED residents like kind of do their thing, like, uh, you know, putting some lines in and, and, you know, getting things managed and getting things really teed up for the ICU to come in and kind of take over care. So that was pretty cool. Right. I think that's also one of the underrated things about being in the ED is like just the level of, um, procedures that you can do or see Mm -hmm. down there. Um, they do a lot of procedures that I didn't know happened down there. Um, you know, there's, there's some crazy things that happen in the trauma bay, uh, thoracotomies, like, you know, just, just overall craziness that I had no, <laughs> no, uh, no recollection of, uh, happening down there. So I think, um, it is very underrated in terms of the amount of procedures they do down there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think that was, that was a good rotation. I liked vascular surgery a lot. I mean, the hours, it was very similar to what you're describing on orthopedia. It was like four 30 in the morning. You, know, you had to prep the list for the fellows to come in and, you know, you did the rounds and it was, it was very different, you know, 
being mostly on medicine services this year, it's a very different style where it's you know, very quick rounds, you know, not a lot of chit chat, uh, you know, just cause you got to get through it and, and get to the, at least for the fellows, get to the operating room. Um, and then the hours for that were same kind of thing. Usually they'll, you know, anywhere from like six to eight o'clock, they usually didn't keep us. Fortunately, they didn't keep us. I tr- being more interested in endovascular stuff. I tried to stay out of the, those big triple A cases that went like 12 hours. I don't blame you, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I wasn't about to get stuck into that business. Um, so yeah, that's, that was pretty much how that, that was a good rotation. It was good to see those. And then internal medicine is good. I mean, it's, I've had to do a lot of it, but um, it's been good to just kind of get a good medicine foundation, which I think is important for, for radiology and, and IR. Cause we actually, we refer, I mean, obviously we rely on radiology a lot, internal medicine and then obviously we send a lot of patients to interventional radiology too. So definitely. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess something that is, I guess maybe becoming more common just from talking to you for people applying to ortho or other, you know, very competitive specialties like that is, so you did a research year from between your M3 and M4 year, I guess, could you maybe tell us a little about that? Like where you did it, what was kind of like the focus of your project or projects and like what your role was that year? Yeah, um, so I took the research year between my third and fourth year of med school. Um, I went to the, I took a year off at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia um, in their uh, pediatric orthopedics department. Um, so a lot of the projects I was working on related to pediatric orthopedics uh, included like dealing with scoliosis research projects, um, developmental dysplasia of the hip, um, and then just, uh, you know, long bone deformities, uh, femur fractures, things like that, uh, all in the pediatric population um, that they saw over there. Um, in terms of uh, research years and uh, all, there's a, a big discussion about that. I'm sure it's, it's very, uh, it's a popular thing. It's becoming more and more popular um, to do in med school uh, before applying to residency uh, with the thinking being that it can increase your chances of applying to, uh, of getting accepted to a competitive specialty. Um, which I think uh, is some of the newer trends. Um, and I think what, what it really addressed is, is like having more research experience, having more publications, having um, a wider uh, ability or wider ability to get uh, recommendation letters from faculty uh, at different institutions. Um, I think those are some of the uh, reasons why students decide to do a research year. Um, in terms of my personal experience, um, for me, those were some of the biggest reasons that I decided to was mainly to get more research experience under my belt. Um, coming from a smaller medical school uh, in the Midwest, um, didn't really have too much of a great research exposure. Um, so I felt that going to a bigger institution uh, like CHOP in Philadelphia uh, would expose me to more research projects um, uh, and just, uh, you know, doing pediatric orthopedics was also a different thing for me because I'd never been exposed to pediatric orthopedics. Even when I was at, uh, when I was doing my orthopedics uh, elective as a third year med student, I never uh, did, I never did a week on pediatric orthopedics or anything like that. Um, So for me, it was to try and get that type of different exposure. Um, uh, So if those were some of the reasons I decided to do the research year, um, and everyone has different reasons, and it's a very personal decision to make. Um, I think that uh, kind of gets um, 
thrown under the rug. Uh, people look at all the statistics and how competitive things are and getting more publications, which is all uh, fine to consider. But I think it is at the end of the day, a personal decision where you're uh, taking a year out of your life to usually go to a different place, different city, different department, um, doing different uh, research projects that you weren't doing before. Um, so I think that it really comes down to personal factors, especially if you have a family, a wife, um, family, things like that. Those are very important things to consider. Uh, and then also, um, uh, I think the financial aspect is also very important to consider. Um, like if it's gonna be a funded position or a non-funded position, um, the living expenses of that city, things like that. So uh, definitely a big decision to be making. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I guess from from your standpoint, like, you know, obviously CHOP's an incredibly productive research institution. Um, I guess, did you feel like your most, I guess was most of your time spent um, do, like writing papers or doing more so kind of statistic things or what, like what kind of, I guess people are probably wondering like what kind of, it sounds like it was mostly clinical research, not so much bench laboratory research. Yeah, it was um, a clinical research uh, program that I'd applied to um, and kind of knew that I wanted to do clinical research more so than basic science, just based off my previous um, experiences with basic science uh, in <laughs> undergrad. Um, I'm sure you can uh, agree with that. Um, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of basic science. Like I, I wasn't good at it. Um, and then on top of that, uh, it took a long time to get any sort of results in basic science and you know, just like one one mess up with the pipette here, uh, you know, just the cells dying on you. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of factors there and I was definitely not the greatest with all that. So definitely knew to steer, steer away from basic science um, just for myself. Um, so I did apply for that as a clinical uh, research opportunity um, as for like day-to-day -day things, uh, kind of, kind of what you said, like all of the above actually, like, uh, doing research, um, doing statistics for projects, uh, and everything that goes along with clinical research, um, either, uh, gather, if, if it's a prospective study, like gathering, uh, data, doing surveys for current patients, uh, retrospective chart reviews, literature searches, um, uh, background reading because a lot of these projects you have no idea what's going on <laughs> yeah because yeah. you, uh, <laughs> you, you're just a med student so um, you really don't know what like the underlying disease process even is so it is helpful in that you get exposure to those things while hopefully you're doing the research you have um, some time to read about those things and I, I found that very interesting and a nice change of pace from crunching numbers all day or putting putting numbers in excel um, and then also what was unique was that I was able to, uh, be a part of clinic actually, uh, at CHOP. So would it be, would be able to go to clinic with some of the attendings, uh, and see patients with them, um, see patients independently and then present to the attending. So that was a great experience for me, uh, just being able to develop a fund of knowledge and seeing different pathologies, uh, was very, um, eye-opening for me in the world of pediatric orthopedics. No, that's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you've had a pretty varied experience. And I mean, I think people, you know, they hear about research and they may not think it's the most glamorous thing in the world, but I think, I mean, that's research in the day. And I mean, at the end, no matter what you go into, especially if you're going in some competitive 
you need to do research at some level, at least, you know, some kind of project, obviously ideal you publish. Um, and I think if, if those of you who are out there who are third years, but even first and second years, it can be tough to do research at the same time and do it well. Um, and the other thing, it doesn't look good to start a project and not finish it. And, you know, obviously like, you know, we all are busy and everything, but it, you, that's true at the medicine level, even at the resident level um, and obviously beyond that. So I think it, it sounds like it must've been nice to just be able to focus on research. Like you didn't have to worry about staff. You didn't have to worry about, you know, your clinical rotations or anything. I mean, is that, is that kind of the experience you had? It was just kind of, you could just focus on research and, and just really knock it out. Yeah, for sure. You have the most amount of time you'll ever have in your life <laughs> to do research um, unless you become a researcher later on. Um, so it was definitely nice to be able to focus on purely research uh, and not have to worry about, you know, getting med school grades or taking step exams and things like that, or being on rotations while you're doing research, which was usually the case for me before. Um, so it was, it was a good uh, way to, you know, have a, have a year off and do research. But then it, uh, it is kind of underrated the fact that you do get some time off to yourself where you're not always just busy um you know juggling three different things at once uh you you are doing the research but then there are we you have weekends off and things like that where you can you know de-stress a little uh get away from the med school grind um so if uh, if there's anyone trying to like you know slow down the pace a little they know they're going to be doing a difficult residency for five, six, seven years anyways, then it's definitely another way to like, you know, spend more time with the people around you and, you know, have a little bit more fun as well, uh, while, while also improving your application. I think that's a really important point. You know, I think we try, we get impatient and we just want to get through it already, but I think taking some time, like I took, you know, I did a research here before medical school in a basic science lab. And it was nice to just, again, focus on research that year. And, you know, I don't know, I think it, I took a few years between college and med school and I'm kind of glad I did it because looking back, it's just, I don't know, medicine, it just sucks so much out of your life that I don't know, <laughs> both really starting M one year and then it gets worse and worse as you go on. Um, I mean, it's a great job. It's a privilege to do what we do, but it's uh, at the same time, it'll, it'll, it's a, I think someone once said it's a demanding mistress. It's uh, it'll, it'll take as much time as you will let it. <laughs> and then yeah, some, yeah, for sure. so uh, I think it's, it's definitely um, it's one of those things where you're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Uh, and it's easy is every, so this has been like, you know, stated everywhere basically about the burnout rates and things like that. And um, how, and all of those things are very serious. So I think that, uh, this is one of those few opportunities where if you're considering research here, it definitely um, allows you to get away from all that. Uh, and, you know, you're going to be in it for the long run. So there's no real rush to try and finish things because that's that's kind of how you start burning out. So um, definitely that was that was that was one of the reasons why I decided to take a research year as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your experience with that. I think that's I think that's something a lot of people consider and they may not know someone who did it. So it's, it's good uh, for people to hear from someone who actually did it and had a good experience and kind of what they got out of it. I guess going from that after, you know, beyond the, the fourth year, what's like, you know, obviously we could talk for hours about this, but I guess in a nutshell, I'm sure people are, you know, thinking what you know, orthopedics, obviously very competitive specialty, if not, you know, the most competitive, you know, probably up there with dermatology and some of the others. 
I guess what what would you say are like the key? Oh, don't leave out IR, man. Come oh on, yeah, you gotta yeah, represent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we got a decent showing up there. Um, you know what's uh, I guess what what's the uh, you know obviously there's step one and research and all that stuff. I guess going step one, like everyone wants to know what's the number. Like I guess you know it probably just depends on the program. I guess what would your advice like if so someone who's studying for step one and they're thinking about doing orthopedics like what's like what's a step one score they should probably try to shoot for like you know i guess even just to kind of make sure it's not something that's a problem i think that um the fact that step one is now going to be pass fail for the coming years i'm not sure starting exactly next year or the year after that but um that kind of really changes uh, the advice that I typically would have given in the past. Yeah. Uh, in the past, I would have said uh, a score, a step one score of 240 would put you uh, in a comfortable spot where you don't really have to worry about um, most competitive uh, orthopedic residencies screening you out. Um, I'm not sure what to do over on the Durham side of things, but uh, <laughs> I know from the orthopedic perspective, uh, 240, 240 seems to be the the threshold for, um, you know, having them take a look at your application and consider uh, inviting you out for an interview. Um, some of the top tier orthopedic programs uh, keep the threshold at 240, and they may not look at your application um, if you don't have a score of 240. Um, I guess they just use that arbitrary threshold. Um, so that is the, the old uh, kind of um, teachings were to have try and aim for a 240. Um, but now with like step one being passed fail, um, clearly that's not going to be able to be used as the measuring stick. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know too much, but I feel like they'll, they'll kind of do something similar with step two scores now. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on step two. Now it's going to focus the shift, which I think it's, it's one of those, it's kind of replacing one test with another. I think step two is probably a better test to measure because it's more clinical. It's more based right. on your rotations than, than step one was more, you know, your basic science knowledge. Um, right. And it's still a test at the end of the day, but yeah, I, th I think I agree with you. I think it's probably just going to be shifted over there where probably you got to get at least, you know, a 240 or, you know, potentially even higher than that, depending on where that, yeah. I, that I think that yet to, is yet to be seen. Um, you know, what, what the exact number are. Cause it's, it's just, uh, you know, most people at least now do better on step two than you do on, on step one. So I feel like people kind of expect a little bit more out of you on step two, but that's true. that could change. And these things are kind of like, you know, the, the goal posts keep getting moved forward every year. Like it's yeah. one of those things where the, the scores just get, keep getting higher and higher. Um, so it's kind of like a moving target almost as a student, uh, which increases anxiety levels. <laughs> At least it did for me back then. Um, so uh, I do want to say though that um, it's very easy to focus on uh, test scores um, as a med student, um, but uh, I don't think that you should be discouraged if you have lower than whatever you know is people tell you or whatever people are recommending and things like that. And I also want to say that scoring higher than that or significantly higher, um, that does put you in a good place, but uh, I don't think that it's going to, that's not the end all be all for uh, residency program selection committees, especially for competitive specialties like orthopedics, derm, IR, um, plastics, 
uh, integrated vascular, things like that. They, they definitely want a holistic um, application. So uh, definitely um, not something to be neglected just, just because a student may have a high uh, step score. Um, but yes, it, there's definitely an increasing focus on, on those scores. Awesome. Uh, I guess from a research, I mean, ortho, I think research, it just depends. I think no matter what you apply for, whether it's, you know, neurosurgery or internal medicine or, you know, whatever, I think research always looks good. You know, if, I think you have to remember at the end of the day, you're applying to, and I know, you know, this, you're applying to academic programs. So even if you're die hard, want to do private practice all the way and make a ton of money and drive a Benz and all that, but you got to, you got, you got to do some research uh, to get, it's kind of one of those hoops you jump through. So I think doing research, but I think some fields are more research driven than others. I think a lot of surgical fields, it seems like surgeons like doing research, uh, interventionalists like, you know, IR like doing a lot of research and radiologists in general, actually, especially academic ones like doing research too. Um, and then even like medicine, doc medicine doctors love doing research. I mean, here at Emory, right. these guys are, you know, they're involved in all kinds of clinical trials and, you know, different, uh, different studies. I mean, you're on the medicine wards, they're constantly quoting new studies and trials that came out. So I think research is something that, you know, it's kind of just a part of, it's a part of medicine, um, especially academics. So I, I guess from your standpoint, like orthopedics, the obviously a very research driven field as well. Um, like what, what should people, I mean, I think, you know, there's these clowns out there like, Oh, you got to put up 20 publications, you know, right. to get an interview and all that. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I guess what's, what's your take on like, you know, the numbers versus the quality that publications and things like that. I do want to touch upon the clown statement right there real <laughs> quick. Um, I was, uh, perusing the, the Reddit, um, archives, uh, when I was applying a couple back, a couple years back and, uh, definitely noticed a few applicants on there with like a hundred plus publications. Um, it, I think they hadn't done one research year, but still that's ridiculous um yeah. and i was just like scared out of my mind i was like you know like and they, it was like before they had matched or anything so we didn't know the outcome right um, so it's just a very daunting thing to look at like that those spreadsheets they have for every specialty and um i think you just as a medicine you got to keep in mind that people posting on there is a very uh it's a very skewed uh selection of applicants because um you're, the people who are posting are more likely to be confident in their application um, and they're more willing to post whatever their stats are for step scores, research pubs, things like that. Um, and then some of the applicants who aren't as confident <laughs> as, as they are uh, might not want to post on there. So you get a very skewed selection. So just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, in terms of your question, um, I think that uh, there's... I think it's like quality and quantity and finding the right balance of those two things. Um, I think one quality project that, you know, like is in the New England Journal of Medicine, like <laughs> I think that that would easily outweigh, you know, 20 pub, twenty like mediocre publications or even a hundred uh, publications. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a very, um, very interesting discussion to have. Um, I think as a med student, you kind of, you kind of go with what opportunities are presented to you at your med school, um, you know, locally, regionally, things like that. Try and make use of like small poster days, small abstract presentations, 
And then if you can get a full out publication and you're listed as an author, that's great. I think that's amazing. Um, and then if you can get several of those, I think you're doing really well for yourself, uh, especially for competitive specialties. Um, but then there's also times where that may not be feasible, not not just because not because of anything that you weren't that, that you did um, or your performance. It may just be that there weren't opportunities like that uh, in the location that you were during that time period. So um, I think residency programs definitely consider that. Um, so uh, I don't think it's like an end all be all um, at all. And I think that. As a student, you guys, you just gotta try your best, um, make use of the opportunities that you have, and uh, don't take things too seriously, and don't like, don't get scared when you meet other applicants with a hundred plus publications. <laughs> I think that that's the main advice I could give there. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, and I think you know it's a kind of a cliche where it's quality over quantity, but I think I think you bring up a good point. Um, you know, I think it's it's much more. It's also important that you know what the project is what the hypothesis right. was what the results were you know what you, be able to specifically say what your role is i think you know something we can probably cover in another episode is is kind of interview techniques and things because i think that's something that's really important and kind of can get overlooked sometimes um, but i think being able to very clearly articulate what you did i think i would caution being just having your name thrown on stuff that you didn't really do much for because I'm sure you can attest to this. You're going to get asked about different projects and like you could get your name thrown on some paper. And you don't even really know what went on. And then someone who's an expert in that field could be interviewing you and ask you, and you know, um, you hear these horror stories about stuff like that on, on interviews. It's just a bad look. I mean, cause these interviews, you get you know, some of these people, you get 10 minutes to kind of wow them. And you know, that's just not a good look. And then I think one thing I want to bring up back to the basic science you were talking about with basic, you know, I did basic science research for a year and, I mean, to give you an idea, having one paper, kind of quality versus quantity, if you can produce one basic science paper in a year, that's huge. Like, I mean, there's people who do their PhDs and they take, you know, a few years to get out. Right. You know, it's, um, I think it happens on the clinical side of things too, but it's even more significant on the basic science where like, like you said, I mean, same thing can just, sometimes this stuff just fails and it's no one's fault. Um, and it just happens. And the same thing with clinical research, like sometimes the data just, just doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't happen or, you know, you're trying to enroll enough patients and I mean, Hey, I'm, you know, look at what happened with COVID, you know, people are trying to do prospective studies and things get halted. I mean, stuff happens. So I think, you know, like you said, and I think you look at the numbers, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but if you look at those charting outcomes, even for, even for orthopedics, neurosurgery, derm, IR, you know, really competitive stuff, very few applicants are having, you know, 10, 20, public it's just not feasible right. unless you did a yeah. research here and even then like i think only one person you know i mean if there's faculty that don't even have you know 20 or 50 right. publications i mean that's just a yeah. crazy amount to have for an applicant to have yeah exactly and there, there's so many other variables that go into it and and the people evaluating know these things so you know they they have a great um selection of uh, you know, statistics they can base their uh, decision off of. So as long as you're not one of the outliers, um, you know, in a negative way, that you really shouldn't have to worry too much about it. Um, I think trying trying your best to being something uh, involved, being involved in something that you're interested in. Um, and I think knowing, like, as you said, knowing what you did when you're giving these interviews uh, and knowing everything about your project, I think 
those three things alone will carry you most of the way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I, th- I think the biggest thing is like finishing, uh, you know, finishing projects, finishing what you did, because that's going to come out like in your letters, you know, we can talk about that in, in a second here, but I think, you know, having someone say in their letter, like I worked on this research project with so-and-so they were, did a great job. They finished the work. Cause that's a big thing. Med students, re- even residents pull that stuff where like they'll start a project and then don't finish it. Um, and so I think, you know, attendings notice those types of things. And so that's important. Um, I think research is one of those things where people love to uh, get involved early and that's definitely a, a positive thing. Don't get me wrong, but um, there's no uh, shame in not knowing what you want to apply for, you know, one, one, one week into med school. Right? <laughs> um, there's always people who know, but uh, if you're not one of those people, that's fine. Um, you know, don't stress too much about getting involved with research projects right off, right off the bat. If you don't know what you want to do yet. Um, I think figuring out what you want to do is uh, just as important and then being able to get involved with research and the sooner the better, obviously, but um, it's one of those things that you don't want to be involved in projects that you're just getting involved with just, just to get a, get a publication out of uh, and completely unrelated things that may not be relevant at all when you come, when you apply four years later. Yeah. Um, And then secondly, going kind of off that, um, I don't think it's ever too late to, you know, make a decision about what you're applying for in residency, uh, for, for which residency you're applying for. Um, like some people come to that decision earlier, some people come to it later. Um, so I came to that like, conclusion that I wanted to apply for orthopedics kind of like halfway through third year, which is probably about normal, um, if not a little bit on the late side. Uh, but um, and then there's people who know what they want to do before med school or, you know, before even college actually. So like there's people like that. And then there's people who like make that decision literally like a week before, uh, ERAS is due. So (laughs) I'm not advising that, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) Um, I did uh, actually, uh, when I was on one of my away rotations, uh, for orthopedics, I, uh, at one of the institutes I was at, one of the um, other students with me, uh, he actually, he had already completed a cardiothoracic away rotation the month prior. Oh, wow. And then this was his second rotation. This was his uh, second away rotation. And he, when he was halfway through his cardiothoracic uh, away rotation uh, at Michigan, actually, he decided he didn't want to apply for CT surgery. Oh, wow. He wanted to apply for orthopedics. And I'm like, if he can make that decision and then show up for an orthopedics away rotation the next month um, and go on to apply and match into orthopedics, I think it's never too late. Um, So whatever your heart desires. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think this is the rest of your life. This is, it's a very, very important decision. It's a very personal decision. Um, And I think, you know, this is, it's very, it's easier to make that switch than people switching residencies. It can be done. Um, it actually happens in radiology a lot. A lot of people are in, you know, other specialties and then switch into radiology. Um, but it's still a challenging thing. You got to go through. Why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that to you to, for everyone yeah. else to wonder or figure out on their own. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you got to go through the match again. You got to do the song and dance, the interview cycle again. You know, there's uh, it's a, it can be challenging. Um, 
And so, you know, and sometimes you get looked down on for leaving, and whether it's right or not, you get looked down on for leaving a residency program because because of that can put a program in a tough spot where, you know, they're down a resident, there's not enough people to cover, there's not as many residents covering the call pool, things like that. Um, but, you know, if, and obviously if it comes to that and you got to do that, you got to do what you got to do. But I think if you can put the time in and put a lot of thought into what your decision is before, like you're mentioning here, I think they can, you know, have a better outcome. Because the other thing you do, you don't want to be 20 years in, or 10 years in a practice and hating your life. <laughs> um, right. And I think I think it's important you brought up, we talk about the hours, you know, kind of going back to what your experience, you know, and things like that. Because I think you got to remember a lot of people, I think as medicines, they're like, oh, I'm going to ortho or I'm going to neurosurgery. I'm doing IR. And like, it sounds really cool to like the other students in the class or like people outside of medicine or your family members. But at the end of the day, you got to remember, you're the one that's got to get up every day. Get, you know, in your case, get up and go to work at 4.30 in the morning every day and live this. And, um, you know, I think you got to remember that at the end of the day, you're the one living this. So make sure you like it. Yeah, I think, <laughs> um, I think that's really important what you just said. Uh, I, I think that um, as a med student, it's very easy to fall into the, well, as a person in general, it's very easy to fall into a, like the glamour trap of uh, what's what other people think is like the hot new field or the most competitive thing just to try and prove other people that you can do it. Um, things like that. And I think those are all the wrong reasons to choose a specialty. Cause like you said, you're going to be the one living it. And there's more often than not, there's going to be times on almost a daily basis, uh, depending on what residence you choose, where you're going to be, you know, in the trenches doing things that you may not want to do, may not like doing when you're already sleep deprived, you know, you haven't eat, eaten breakfast, lunch <laughs> or dinner. So um, that's really when you're going to have to ask yourself, like, you're going to realize sooner or later, like, did I make this decision based off what something that I wanted to do intrinsically, or was it based off other outside factors? Um, so, I, and I think that as a med student, it's a very hard decision to make because half the time you don't have the complete knowledge about that specialty just because you can't, there's no way you can live or work those resident hours um, as a med student. So you just don't see half the things that go on. Um, so you are kind of just, it's like kind of your judgment of what the residency is rather than the actual reality of it. Um, so you just got to hope your judgment is close to reality and you get that by having uh, friends in the specialty who can tell you about what their experiences are listening to podcasts like these which I wish they were like when I applied um, and just gathering information you know in the hot while you're on those rotations yeah definitely I think that's all excellent advice uh, and then I think also you know talking I think just talking to people like picking people's brains um, you know who are in the field attendings in the field you know, depending on how approachable of a person they are, you'd be surprised. I mean, people like talking about, you know, their field and what they do and, you know, and ask them stuff, you know, like ask them, you know, about their, you know, how it's like being an attending. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, you know, residency at one point or another ends and you're going to be the attending. So I think, you know, asking them about their hours, asking them about their balance, you know, what do they do in their spare time? Do they have any spare time? Um, you know, things like that, you know, what kind, what type of procedures are they doing? You know, cause I think sometimes, you know, people can get caught up in certain aspects of a field and then they realize, you know, you know, maybe only a select amount of people actually do those. Like for example, a, a specialty like neurosurgery, you know, people think brain surgery, brain, 
what people don't realize is 70% of neurosurgery is actually spine surgery. So like, if you, if you really hate spine surgery, it might not be a good idea to be a neurosurgeon. Um, cause there's not, it's a small amount of neurosurgeons that do exclusively cranial work. Um, most, especially guys out in general practice or in private practice, they're doing, you know, most of spine or if not all spine and just, so I think, you know, you know, getting a sense of what the attendings are actually doing is also important in talking to them about their experience. Yeah, exactly. And kind of touching upon the neurosurgery example, like, um, even though, like, say your interest may be doing brain surgery and, and you may hate spine surgery, then you still have to make it through seven years of <laughs> neurosurgery residency, which a large portion of it may be spine surgery. Mm-hmm. So that's even, even though as an attending, you may be able to do solely brain surgical brain surgery procedures. Um, you, you still have to go finish that seven year residency though. So, yeah. uh, that's something to consider. Yeah. I think, I think another example is, you know, orthopedics, like say all you want to do is sports medicine, but you hate trauma, orthopedic trauma. Like that's, right. that's gonna be a problem. I mean, you know, you would know yeah. better than me. <laughs> yeah, <the> for sure. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, trauma is a large portion of where you learn basic orthopedic principles, um, you know, like fractures, like pre like dating back to the time of Hippocrates and things like that. That's kind of what like established the branch of orthopedics. So if you don't like that, then you'll, you might have a harder time uh, finishing a five-year residency that's already, you know, more on the grueling side than other residencies may be, so. Sure. Sure. Awesome. I think um, one thing, well, well, I want to take a break here again to, to kind of plug the uh, a new update from DaVinci Academy just real quick here so people know. Uh, Let's do this, it. <laughs> this is actually recent. Uh, and this involves Dr. Shaw as well as uh, our books now. You know, we have uh, paper uh, paperback versions of our text. We've had those for a number uh, for a while now. We just now have them in ebook because we've had many, many students reach out and say they'd like them in the ebook, you know, having them more accessible on their tablets, computers. So you can go to Google Play. You can also go to, they're available on Amazon Kindle. Um, and they're actually at a lower price than they are in the paperback. So you can save a little bit of money if you prefer the electronic version. So you can use those. And Amazon Kindle, you don't have to have the actual device. You can just use the app on your Apple devices or whatever devices you use. Um, so yeah, go check those out. Um, and obviously the videos on our website are still there and they can complement as well. So just wanted to give that a little update. That's a very recent update. So just wanted to give everybody, give, make everybody aware about that. And again, Dr. Shaw is a, a co-author on that biochemistry book. So check it out. I, th- I think we did a really nice job on that one. You know, I think just to kind yeah. of look at that a little bit, you know, I think kind of comp- we pulled from a lot of different good biochemistry sources and put them in a pretty succinct uh, format for people. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's very uh, clinically oriented as well. A uh, good mix of what you kind of need to know for step one um, in terms of like the basic science, uh, biochemistry principles, but then also uh, kind of uh, very uh, related to U-world type questions as well. So I think it's a great resource out there um, for biochemistry. Uh, and I kind of like when we were making it, I think this was one of our goals too, uh, was to like combine uh knowledge from as many different resources as we could uh, for step one preparation specifically, um, as well as, uh, you know, the first year school curriculum that has biochemistry. 
So I think it's a great resource for um, being able to go over all the information that may be uh, in like Golgen's uh, rapid review of biochemistry, um, UWorld, uh, first aid. Uh, it's a good uh, resource that combines all of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I, th I think we made it in a concise and manageable uh, format. So awesome. I think one thing I wanted to touch on with you, and you were talking a little bit about it, is orthopedic away rotations. Obviously, huge factor with competitive specialties like orthopedics, other ones we've mentioned. I guess one, like how how did you go about selecting a ways? Like, what did you think about, like, you know, location, like type of program, things like that? What, what were you looking for when you were doing your away rotations and so, or selecting them? Yeah. Um, away rotations are crucial. Like their importance cannot be uh, underestimated. Um, I think that uh, a lot of it, there's a lot of planning and preparation that and financial expenditure that goes into away rotations. So it's definitely a very important decision and it's good, probably going to shape next five years, like where you end up and where you may not end up, end up at. So uh, you got to really take that into account um, when you're planning the way rotations. Um, I think the a good uh, guide guidelines, like good, good way to think about like how to pick away rotations are um, basically like if do you want to be at a uh, big uh, academic type center or do you want to be in a more um, smaller community private practice uh, or you know commu uh, rural type setting um, that would, that's a big um, question that you need to ask yourself another thing that um, you should be thinking about is um, if you have a specific interest in like a subspecialty within that uh, um, field of medicine, is that uh, residency or is that center suited for that? Or do you think you'll get good exposure to that in terms of the patients and in terms of um, surgical procedures uh, and other other management in, in, in those patients? So um, as, as you kind of mentioned a bit earlier on, there's a, there's a significant uh, difference in like where hospitals are located and the types of patients they see. Um, you can go down the road a couple blocks and there's totally different pathology, totally different patient population and your resident experience is totally different as well. Uh, so that's something really to uh, focus on. Um, another uh, criteria to look at is uh, your own geographic preferences. Like where do you want to live? Where do you want to raise a family? Uh, where do you want to meet a spouse? Things like that. Um, uh, or do you already have your family like living in a certain part of the country? Do you want to be near them? Things like that. Um, and then uh, some of the lesser, I think those would be like the biggest factors to consider. Um, and then some of the uh, lesser important factors, but I think still are important. Many applicants' minds are like, uh, ability to do research, um, ability to be involved in certain like abroad experiences, community service experiences, um, uh, health disparity projects, things like that. Those are very hospital dependent. Um, uh, ability to uh, you know interact with certain faculty members that are known in you know whatever subspecialty they're interested in, things like that. Those are also important to consider. 
uh, along with their personal considerations. Um, what else? There's there's a bunch of criteria that that uh, applicants can be thinking about when they apply for away rotations. It's kind of almost like thinking about as if you're choosing a residency, but just prematurely, um, because you are basically picking those away rotations as uh, potential places where you may want to end up for residency. So you kind of, the way you would pick your final residence location is the same way you would pick the away rotation. So I wouldn't really try to think about it any differently. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because I think some people may pick a ways on they're trying to like game the system and think like, oh, if I do some rotation at somewhere in the Northeast that can help me get into this other program in the Northeast. And I feel like that may not, you know, the one you're gonna have the best shot at, I would imagine is, is the one you actually do it at where they actually know you. Um, right. Not just cause you did it there and you know, it's near some other place. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's a really important point is you should pick these as if places that uh, these are places you want to go. And I mean, I guess the only exception to that is if you go to a place and you find out, cause that's, I think spending a month there is probably, you know, I just know this from doing 30 year rotations, you get a kind of a sense of the culture of the program and the sense of the, you know, how things work at the program. And you may find you, man, this is really somewhere I would not want to spend, you know, the next five, six, seven years of my life. Um, and that's okay. Um, you know, that's what those are there for. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think uh, going off that, I think some, uh, some, sometimes there's like, I don't know, I feel like I heard this from like, one of one of my med school buddies, but he was like, um, I might use these as a way to like rule out programs. And I was just like, this doesn't make any like rational sense to me. <laughs> and he's like, no, bro, I read about this on the internet. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God. can't listen to all that type of advice. Um, I think that using it as a way to rule out programs is not the best or most efficient way to go about it. I think, I think if you learn about a program and you, you see things that you don't like and you don't want to go there, that's fine. But I don't think you should be picking programs initially, like based off that. I think you should pick programs that you think you would want to be at and you want to end up where you want to end up. And then, and then you can go from there, like if you like it or if you don't like it once you do the experience. But um, yeah, and then also the, ge the geography thing, like um, I, I think that thinking that it's going to open up a whole geographical area for you just because you did one rotation in that area is not is not necessarily true. I think that um, I think it, it will increase your consideration at only at that hospital and the, or in the nearby city or area, but maybe if you can like spin it like that on your interview, but um, definitely not some of these uh, perceptions that med students have. Yeah. And I think an important point to remember about that is it's, you know, this is going to be on your transcript. It may not, I mean, obviously if you have a letter from somewhere like that, from somewhere, someone in that region, but really on your, on your application, you, you put your current address. So wherever you are in medical school, you put where you grew up and then that's for location wise, that's really all they're going to have to go off of on, preliminary, you know, unless they get to the letter stage and see that, oh, you did a rotation in, you know, Boston, Massachusetts, and they see that the hospital you rotated is from there if they get to that stage in the review. But um, otherwise, they may not, I mean, some people may not even realize that you even rotated or even, you know, had an interest in that area just because they're just going off of where you live or where you grew up. Um, so I think that, you know, and these people have thousands of applications to read. So I think that's, 
uh, important to remember as well. And I, I think you make a really good point about using them to cross places off. I don't, you know, like you, like you said, if that happens or you find you don't want to be there, that's one thing, but you know, these should really, these really should be your top picks. I mean, it should really be places that, you know, you're probably gonna be ranking really high um, cause they're probably gonna be the places you have the best shot at. Right. And there's also this theory about like, um, I'm going to go there, but uh, they might not rank me as high or I might not rank them as high. Um, if that's the case, then you probably shouldn't go there in the first place for, for an away rotation. Your intention should be to um, see how their program is because you were interested in it like for your personal reasons. And then your intention should be to try and make as good of an impression as possible mm-hmm. um, at that location. For sure. And I know some of this stuff seems very like straightforward or like basic um, or, in, but uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to some of the advice that I've, you know, heard at, uh, over the years in med, being a med student. Um, uh, there's a lot of weird advice floating out there. So I just had to clear up the air. Yeah. Advice is very cheap. Uh, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of it around and not necessarily good advice. Um, and, I think you brought up earlier, you got to be really careful reading stuff on the internet. I mean, cause I mean, hell, I, I could go on one of those things on a, you know, I could go on a dermatology thread and say, Hey, I got a 270 step one and you know, two, 200 publications. And just, I mean, there's people that do stuff like that. There's maniacs out there. I mean, I mean, those aren't, that, that's not even that far off from the no, regular I mean, seriously, like, dermatology. Yeah, I mean, even though I, I don't know anything about skin, I mean, I wouldn't even know the first thing about it. You yeah. know, I mean, I know, bare minimum to be a sort of a doctor at this point, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's it, anyways, uh, you gotta be really careful because people and people lie about their stuff all the time. You know, they, yeah. you know, they increase, you know, lie about their step scores or research or whatever. And there's some people on there that's a game, like they're trying to scare people or feed their own ego, right? Or, you know, or whatever. There's a lot of just nonsense on there. So I think, Honestly, the best people to get advice from are like either residents at a program or in a field you were, you know, cause they went through the process and they, you know, you get on the residency, you get to see a little bit of the other side. I think, especially as you ascend through the ranks, you know, and program directors, you know, take more of your opinion into consideration, but also, you know, they went through it, they went through the process. And then obviously the program directors and the people who sit on the committees, the people who actually review these applications. I mean, I think, you know, that's, those are the main people you should be you know, seeking out advice from, uh, cause I mean, if it's another student, you're both in the same boat, you're both working at the same data, essentially. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Um, yeah. And med student has this med school has this propensity to bring out these wild, um, exaggerated stories and perspectives that you kind of have to, you know, cross check <laughs> with reality yeah. sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess kind of closing things out here, um, you know, it's a challenge for anybody. I'll ask you, then I can comment on it too, but like, you know, how do you get a, you know, work on these hours? How do you get a good work-life balance? Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you Wait, do? What's that? What's that? What's yeah, that I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's something I heard about, you know, right. reading about it in an article or something, you know, but uh, yeah. you know, I guess in theory, I guess, what would you do? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think I, that's a very important question, actually. Um, I think it's an ongoing, ongoing struggle for me, uh, personally speaking. Um, it's very, I think, 
as a resident, you have to be very adaptable. Um, as you know, like every month you're on a different rotation. Uh, every week, every day has new surprises, different hours, different people, um, different challenges. Um, so the work-life balance is one of those things where you kind of have to fit amongst all of that, all that noise. Um, so it's something that you have to uh, keep in your mind and just try and uh, fit it into your schedule. Because um, as, as I said, like the schedule, the hours change uh, on a daily basis. So you can't really just say like, oh, I'm going to go to my 7 p.m. yoga class every <laughs> Monday through Friday. Like that's just not feasible, uh, at least in the residency that I'm in. I don't know about <laughs> other people's uh, situations, but you know, that's not feasible. So um, I think it's more of like, finding uh, short periods of time where you can mentally de-stress and physically de-stress and live a healthy lifestyle. Um, and, you know, whether that means like finding time on the weekends uh, or, you know, Friday nights where is, so I find time to try and go to the gym, um, play basketball when it's nice outside and not snowing like this weekend, um, <laughs> uh, you know, go to the gym on the weekends uh, and sometimes on the weekdays as well. Um, so I think it's just some of the, it's very personal. It's very schedule dependent. Um, and I think that it's very, I do agree. It is very important. Um, it's just something you got to be flexible with though. It's not something like in med school where you could hit the gym at 4 PM, you know, after <laughs> class, you yeah, know, yeah. get a good sweat in, get some dinner, relax, you know, hit it up with the bros. I, I think that's that time is gone. But uh, if you're in med school and listening to this, definitely, enjoy that time i will say that yeah yeah because as we've mentioned before it, the amount of free time decreases and yeah i think you bring up a real a good point i think you know a lot of times you get like one day off a week in residency i mean that's the rotation i'm on right now that's how it is you know when i was on vascular surgery it was 12 days straight and then two days in a row off and then you're back at it again for another 12 days right. straight and so you know it obviously depends on what program and rotation you're on but i think using those days off you got to, you got to actually put like some thought into it. Like what, what do you want to do with that free time? Cause the yeah. worst thing is when you're sitting there, just like counting the hours down to like you're thinking, you know, shit, man, I got to be back there in 12 hours or whatever. Um, you don't want to be doing that. I mean, if we all, that all happens to all of us. You get kind of sad, you know, when it hits around seven, eight o'clock night before right. you have to go back. It's kind of actually really you sad. Start, you start thinking about, uh, day the next day coming up and you're not even using the time that you have right now yeah you know? i mean it's it's so cliche but you almost got to live in the moment it's it's like kind yeah. of goofy and cheesy but you know you're, you're kind of forced to you know yeah. right? <laughs> um, otherwise you could get really sad um but anyways <laughs> uh and you know um it's not that we, like we hate our lives it's just you know it's just I do have like, I'm you, like you as well, like you're mentioning, you do, I do have interests outside of the hospital and like, you know, I have things that I like to pursue. And I mean, uh, it's, you know, nice to have time to do some of that stuff, you know? Uh, right. I don't want to work like 24 seven in a hospital. I think most people don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I think planning things out, you know, but I also think, you know, if you, if you had a tough week and you got crushed and it's just, you know, whether you're a med student or, you know, cause it's, that can happen in med school too. If you're on a tough, tough rotation or and obviously in residency as well, uh, it's okay to just kind of chill. I mean, there's some people that will try to like guilt trip, be like, Oh, you didn't do anything on your day off. I mean, I think if you just chill and, you know, watch Netflix or 
right. kind of hang out with some friends and get some food or whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, you, you don't have to be hike, hiking the Rocky Mountains every weekend. You know, you can, you can, some, sometimes it's okay to get a bucket of ice cream and put some Netflix on, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's okay. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and then also it's like, you have to, I think, um, I think physical fitness, I think that's also important to mental health. So I think like, in the hospital, you're already kind of tired. Uh, you're doing physical things in the hospital. So that's like a very important balance to strike. You don't want to get, you don't want to kill yourself, you know, doing workouts at midnight, you know, going on like 10 mile <laughs> yeah. runs. Uh, and then you have to wake up at four the next morning. Like, you know, that's how you get burned out and things like that. So it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta balance that aspect of physical fitness as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think it's, it just helps clear. It's a good de-stressing technique and, and good for clearing your head. And I don't know, it's, it's just better to be, I think it helps you in the hospital too. Like if you're more physically fit, you kind of just, you move faster. You can, you don't get as tired easily. Uh, and, you know, I think that, I think it kind of goes both kind of has many, many benefits we'll say. Let me ask you, are you, are you the type of person, um, you know, when you, when you become a senior resident or attending, are you going to, are you going to make your team, walk up the stairs, you know, 10 flights of stairs, or you're going to, you're going to chill and be the one who like takes the elevator. I think, you know, I, in that case, I like to just please the team, you know, when you get that yeah. stage, people are working hard for you. So, I mean, if they want to be heroes and do the stairs, I mean, we can do it, <laughs> but uh, they want to just, there, was, on there the was one attending uh, in med school. I don't know, but uh, if you, you worked with her at all, she would wear heels and take literally 10 flights of stairs and, I thought it was very admirable, but <laughs> yeah, that is, that's uh, geez, that's, that's, that's yeah. true. Uh, that's true. Perseverance there. I mean, yeah, that, exactly. that perseverance, just uh dedication to stay in shape, I guess. <laughs> uh, damn. Exactly. Oh, Get your man. workout and bring your protein yeah. smoothie. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I worked with that person, but I, you know, that's, that sounds, uh, I guess that's one way to stay in shape. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I don't think I would, I think I just defer to the team, you know, and you know, if they want to, if they want to yeah. take the, if they want to listen to some cool music on the, on the elevator and ride yeah. it up, you know, just yeah. take it easy. That's, that's cool with me too. You know, right. but unless you got something like where it's like two flights, I mean, come on, elevators take it forever. Let's move it. You know, especially at Grady hospital back in August, like the, like almost, it was ridiculous. All the, almost all the elevators were out. I don't know what was going on. And so like, you just pretty much it's like 16 floor hospital like i was just doing this a lot of times you just do the stairs because like you'd sit there for like 20 minutes waiting for an elevator it's just like not efficient so i got my steps in that was in that month and it was august in atlanta georgia it was pretty hot so right it was, it was something else <laughs> that was my workout climbing stairs yeah. at grady <laughs> hey man the stairs you can get you know you can get the calves involved doing heel raises doing a couple of lunges you know two steps at a time get the climb steps yeah. burn i know man so. i know so <laughs> it's good stuff well ron it was a, a pleasure talking with you i think you know you had some great experiences to share and uh uh you know i think people listen i think it was useful for people applying orthopedics considering research year you know i think applying in general and loved having you on the show especially for our inaugural uh, episode and Hopefully we'll have you come back soon sometime. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour 
Brought to you by DaVinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, you can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as ebooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called DaVinci Cases. DaVinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.